What is up, everybody? Thank you again so much for listening. Just wanted to throw this in the beginning. I did have a little bit of a COVID scare. We talk about it on the episode. Test results came back negative, but I was just feeling like garbage, which is why we did this over Zoom. But it is an awesome episode. Of course, Derek has tons of stories, so we are going to get him back on. Episode's a little short this week, just dealing with everything um, I was dealing with, so that's my fault. But don't worry, we are going to get Derek back on to talk some of those more in-depth about some of those crazy stories that he does have. But this episode is fantastic. We kind of get a good baseline of what's going on with Derek and some crazy stories. So enjoy the episode. Grab me a beer and grab him a coat. We about to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up because he didn't sub it up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon says, here, bitch, your ex drink your buddy. Brandon says, here, bitch, your ex drink your buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. I'm your host, Brennan Tassif. If you're new to the show, quick rundown of the show. I used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy. It was my favorite thing to get fucked up, hang out with friends, talk shit, talk shop, and reminisce about old stories. I am sober now, but that is still one of my favorite things to do. Most weeks, I will be joined by a guest. This week is no exception. Joined by New York City comedian, super hilarious guy, Derek Drescher. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. If everyone can tell, we're doing this one via Zoom just because a little bit of craziness going on here in New York. So we're, we're playing it safe, um, but promote everything up front. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media. I know you've got the show at the stand that you do the 23 and one. Let everybody know. Yeah, uh, you can follow me at Derek Drescher on Instagram. I don't really do Twitter or anything like that. Um, yeah, and I have a show uh, monthly at the stand with my uh, my good buddy, Gio Perez, 23 and one comedy which is, you know, a play on words from like 23 hours lockdown, one hour recreation for when you uh, get incarcerated. Um, <laughs> How many people get that? How many people ask you, like, what is the 23 and one? Uh, it's funny. A lot of people think it has something to do with like 23 and me. Oh, really? Yeah. So we always riff on that, like right up top when we get it. We ask, like to ask people, what would they do? Because if you think about it, life is pretty much like that. Also, like 23 hours a day, you're either working or sleeping and maybe you get like an hour out of the day to really enjoy yourself. Yeah, that's true. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I saw the title of the show, I was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, you could, there's that show. And then uh, I have uh, on the gate podcast with Gio also. Which okay. is a, it's a jail podcast. It's just two reformed jailbirds talking about jail and comedy. There we go. We got to get Gio on here, too, man. I didn't realize that he uh, he was your PIC in all this. Yeah. Yeah. Gio's my dude. And he is. We have very similar backgrounds also. So, OK, yeah. well, I wanted I, I know we are going to get to that stuff um, on this show. We like to talk about I mean, we talk about everything from I've had people on and they're like, yeah, I got really fucked up and drove home all the way to some of my stories about getting locked up and stuff like that. So we definitely run the gambit. But before we get into too much of that, let's. I wanted to talk about you. What you so you're in New York now. Are you from up here? Are you, where yeah, are you from I'm from originally? New York? OK, from New York. Yep. And what got you into a uh, comedy? Have you always been like the class clown? Did you always like to make people laugh or was that just a natural kind of segue after you got out? Like, how did that work? 
No, it took me, took me, I wish I would have got into it right after I got out. Uh, but everything happens how it's supposed yeah. to, I guess. Um, I always loved stand-up comedy, you know, comedy, big fan also, but stand-up in particular, like uh, when I was a kid, um, you know, Bill Cosby was still popping. I know people don't really like him anymore now, but he had a special. What happened, what happened with Bill Cosby? <laughs> He had this special on HBO and then there was also like Sinbad. Um, and, you know, I, those are the people that were around when I was very young, like under 10 years old, maybe yeah. six, seven, Bob Nelson, Ellen DeGeneres. And then I remember once I got around like 11 years old, uh, Def Jam comedy yeah. on HBO hosted by Martin Lawrence came out. And God, it just I remember that blew my fucking mind. And you uh, so many great uh, comedians came across, you know, Def Jam. You had Martin, Dave Chappelle, Chris Tucker has a Def Jam set. Um, and uh, I believe it was Friday nights at midnight. Yeah. And yeah. And, and then so I, I loved comedy, big fan of comedy. And then about four years ago, I or maybe about three and a half. No, it was maybe a little over three. I was asked to be on a podcast and I, I really didn't know like the, like uh, how big the podcast was. So yeah, real quick, like uh, I haven't been incarcerated for about five years. I've been clean for seven. Okay. Um, I didn't understand what podcasting was, what a fucking email was or any of that stuff. Like I'm, I was still learning the stuff as I was going yeah, and for the I just want to let the the listeners know because uh, this is something I experienced, and it was only uh, you know I was in there for a much shorter time, but you literally are cut off from everything except like you get the TV room is what we had, so we could watch like games, and I I make a joke about it on stage, but we would watch Walking Dead like as a family every night on Sunday. Yep. But other than that one connection to the outside. Like as far as trends and styles and apps and all that, like you have no idea what's good because they literally take all your shit from you. It's not you can't be like, oh, let me get my phone and call my landlord and tell him like I'm going to be late this month. Like there's none of that. It's yeah. just like this shit's ours now. I remember I was freaking out the first time uh, when I got picked up on my warrant because I was like, I have to be at work and like, just please let me call my job like yeah. at anything. And they knew what was going on because they knew I was in recovery and stuff. So I called them and told them what was up and they're like, all right. Just let us know when you get out and, you know, come to find out it was three months later. But still, like, you don't have any access to anything when you're nope. in there. I know it's and it's, I, I had been being like in and out of institutions since I was like 13 years old. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. whether it was group homes or juvenile detention rehabs, you know, because I had the issue with substance abuse a lot of time in, uh, in jails and correctional facilities. Also, um, I just was not connected to like technology whatsoever like the first time i sent an email i thought i was gonna fucking blow something up when i <laughs> like that's what was that like being asked to be on the podcast like did, how did they find you because you live in new york but were you in the comedy scene were you going to the stand like how did that whole thing happen yeah so i had a few friends that were comedians you know um okay and i uh you know, I, I never like it wasn't like a big thing to me. I didn't like go to their shows all the time or whatever. I didn't talk to them about comedy much. It was, you know, I just I knew what they did. Uh, but then I had one friend who was friends with uh, a, a pretty well-known comedian. And I we were just at the park hanging out. And then I hung out with them again. And they're like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? And I was like, sure. And just so you know, 
in the the last four episodes they had done, it was it was uh like it was like Ari Shafir. Yeah. It was like Andrew Schultz, Ari Shafir, me, and then Nikki Glazer. Like that's, <laughs> that's who I was like sandwiched in with. You know, and you I mean? weren't doing comedy at the time. You were just kind of like, yeah, I'll go. That's a true addict mentality. And I know because that's my my mentality too. Is if someone's like, hey, you want to do it? You're like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, and I just had no idea. Like, is brevity the right word? No, right? That's too serious of a word, right? That's Brevity. a serious word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know like how big the podcast was. And I remember after I did the podcast, I had like 500 followers on Instagram. Yeah. And when, the day the podcast came out, I woke up and I had 1,500 followers. Damn. And I made my account private. Damn. I freaked out, dude. Yeah, because you didn't know what was going on. No, I was like, who are I? You know, I was going through like a cussy battle for my daughter. I was like, I thought everybody was my daughter's mother. Like, I, it was... I freaked all these fake accounts. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. So, yeah, I like and I just started blocking people. So, I mean, whatever you live and you learn, you know what I mean? And then I started comedy uh, literally like right after that started. So you just started getting on stage and talking about it and stuff. Yeah, I did comedy wrong the first year. Okay, I was doing the bringers. Yeah. Tell me. Tell tell us about that, because this is something because I have mainly comedians on. I've had actors and musicians and stuff, but it's mainly comedians. And that's something we go back and forth on where. There are some people who are convinced they're like, no, I'm doing shows. And I'm like, yeah, but it's it's like a bringer and stuff like so you're just basically pumping the promoter's pockets like what? do? And then there are other people like I'm very pretentious. I'm very much like it's about what we're trying to say. It's about who we're trying to say it to yada, yada, yada. And so what do you mean by you did comedy wrong? I mean, there's this whole like structure that's laid out for us with the open mic scenes and, and, and getting to know other comedians and becoming friends with them and, and bouncing material off your friends and, and writing with people. Yeah. Yeah, And writing with people and, and hitting as many mics as you can. I mean, there's a, there's a hustle and a work to it. You know what I mean? Bringers for me, I'm sure like it's worked for some people who've just done bringers and, Maybe they make a living from comedy now. It just wouldn't have worked for me. It, it wasn't enough. I need reps. Yeah, you know I'm I mean? the same exact way where it's I, my that's that's the thing that was always crazy to me is I did a, a bringer when I first moved up here because I, I didn't know anybody like I moved up here without I, the only person I know or knew from the podcast and kind of from the comedy world in New York, like personally was Matt Fulcheron. And that was kind of it. So I was like, all right, well, I let me do something to kind of get out there. And I had a couple friends visit New York and they told me about uh, the industry room and stuff like that. So I did that. And I was shocked that there was there was a few people on that show where they're like, oh, this is my third time doing comedy. But they only they don't go to mics. They don't do any of that. They just do bringers because then they're big rooms and they're full. And I was like, but that's not. And if somebody has a really great set and ends up getting passed on that, there's a lot of cracks that are going to show unless oh, you're yeah. like some kind of fucking uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like prodigy. prodigy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you and that's something I, mean? I talk about now with older because co- I've been doing comedy since 09. And that's something I like to joke about now is there's a lot of comics that are so focused on the viral aspect of it, which is true. It, that is a new part of the business you have to understand. But then. I'll do. I was talking to a friend of mine and he was talking about, yeah, I was at the show and there were all these young, hot comics, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and they got out there and the room just wasn't playing ball and they yeah. did so poorly. And then he went up and crushed and he was just like, yeah, but I've been doing this forever. Like, 
I've done, and I was joking. with he knows how to read a room. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I've done bar shows in Oklahoma city while the thunder game plays in the background, like trying to get that room on your side. Yeah. yeah that's a lot harder than doing like a, a Facebook live and being like, check this out guys. Yeah. Like those people want to see you when you get into a room where people don't want to fucking see you, you got to earn that. Yeah. Yes. And that's you know, where and that, all the reps come in. I feel like, yeah, that stuff is only going to come with time. Like there's still, I'm, I, I keep an open mind. Like I wouldn't be sober today if I didn't have an open mind and be like, there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn. Like yeah. I haven't learned how to read every room correctly. You know, and it's something that I'll, you know, I'll continue to work at it. I'll get my, my time in and, and I'll figure it out eventually when it comes, it comes. But there is this, you got to, for me, it's like, I got to go up as much as I can. You know, I try to keep a healthy balance. Yeah, you know, I'm like, I need to go to a mic. I need to go to a mic. But like, I, I want to get up, you know, at least between two and four times a day. That's that's the goal. Yeah. And that's awesome, too, because that's how there are so many times, especially in this industry where just one phrasing, just saying something a little bit different and a joke you've done a million times can actually change it from being, a you know, a three or a four to a seven or an eight or take a you know, a seven or an eight and make it a nine or a ten. Yeah. And that's, and that's something you can't get unless you're constantly going up and tweaking and recording and listening back and editing because there's so many times where I have a bit and I'm like, Oh, it gets last. Like it's good enough. And then I just put it in my pocket and then I'm like, all right, that's done. And then I'll pull it out one day. And I'm like, just saying it after not saying it for a while. I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. (laughs) Like it's too long. The tags aren't good enough. And that's just something you get from rep. So you, that's what you did. You said, I'm going to do this. And you just jumped in. I changed it up. Yeah. I, I, I stopped. Cause it was like one mic a week and like a couple bringers a month, which is not, you know, it's, it's just not good for your art. It's unhealthy for your art. You know what I mean? It's, it's so yeah, now I just, I started doing it every day and then the pandemic happened, which is wild. And then I, yeah, I had to do some zoom stuff and then in the parks and illegal shows <laughs> And all that stuff. So, but it, I grew a lot, man. Like those Joey Bats mics and shows, man. Yeah, I went to a couple of those when I first got here. Yeah, if you can get people's attention while fucking the bus and the dump trucks going by, you know, you're you're growing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those things too, where I I remember because I reached out to Dan Lamore, who's been on this show, because uh, I kind we had done a, a show together in Jacksonville, Florida. So when I moved up here, I kind of reached out to him, and he's like, "Hey, man." I haven't done an open mics in a while, but during the pandemic, I did Joey Bats. You should check that out. And I went there, man. And it's like you said, it's there's chaos happening all around you. So if you can get someone to come up to you after the show and be like, hey, I like the bit you did about X, Y and Z. It's like, oh, that that's an awesome bit, because if people heard that outside when all this shit's going on, you know, in the middle of the East Village, that means it was good enough for people to pay attention. Right. Right. Dan's one of those prodigies we were talking yeah. about before. <laughs> yeah, he is. We we had him on. He talked all about it. How like two years into comedy, he was passed at the cellar. And I was no. like, what the fuck, man? Wow. I, I've learned I've learned a lot from that guy, too. Like anytime he drops a little a little nugget, you know, I pick it up. Um, he's a funny guy, fucking great joke writer. And yeah, just the experience like getting passed at the cellar two years in. That's fucking. Yeah. And it's. It's crazy. His his whole thing about he got passed and then he got dropped, basically. And he had he had he was at 300 and something pounds. And yeah. The weight loss. Yeah. He, was kind of, running. he had a great line where he's like, well, if I once he once he wasn't performing at the cellar anymore, he was like, well, if I don't have comedy, then I'm just some fat guy. 
And that kind of is what sparked everything with that. And I was like, damn, that's crazy. But that is, that's wild. He's definitely, he's like you in a lot of ways in the fact that he's there. Like he, he does the hang every time I go to the stand, not every time, but a lot of times I see you there. You're always around other comics. You're always networking. You're always talking to other people, which is, in my opinion, one of the, that's just as important sometimes as the joke writing is getting to know people because there are so many times I've bombed on stage, like at a mic or something, trying new stuff. And people will still book me because they go, well, I know you're funny. Right. And I know you were just trying something new. So I'm not going to hold that. Like, why would I hold that against you? Like, that. Doesn't I hate when people sense. like use like when someone's like, oh, I saw them bomb at the mic. It just reminds me of Alan Iverson. You know, the, practice, man. Practice. We're talking about practice. Practice. Like, I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. What are we talking about here, man? Practice. That's. <laughs> That's true. That's and when I first moved up here, that was a hard thing I was struggling with was I'd go to Mike's and I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm going to do what I always do at Mike's, which is work on new material. But then I'd be around a lot of people and I don't know who they are. They might be respected comics. They might book shows. So I'm like, oh, shit, should I pull out like real material? Like hey, so you they want know. people to get to know you come up to you. Hey, man, real funny. You yeah. Know? And I was like, I don't know what to do. So like the first couple of mics, I it was a mix. Like I did like new stuff I was working on. And then I throw out like quick jokes that i knew would work but then after a while i was like this is stupid like i'm doing material that i've been doing for years like i need to work on that's what the mic is for i only get three minutes i only get five minutes like i need to stop wasting it on old stuff yeah because you know what i mean because it's like i don't have a big show coming up i'm not trying to get this five minutes tightened up for something i'm just doing it so i could be like hey aren't i funny guys like isn't the new guy funny huh so you can be accepted by your peers. Yeah, right. Which is I mean, but I understand that completely a hundred percent. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, but yeah, that's comedy. Yeah, I mean, I do it as as I work two jobs. I work for a nonprofit as a drug counselor, and I also uh, teach at uh Combody, which is a gym that only hires uh formerly incarcerated individuals. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh and then I uh all my other time is devoted to comedy, whether it's writing hitting mics hanging at shows doing shows you know well that's good man let um you mentioned it earlier uh and i kind of wanted to get into it you said you've been kind of in and out between rehabs and group homes and incarceration since you were 13 right so what uh how did that start was that a a product of just being raised in new york and kind of your upbringing or was that something that you just kind of got into a lot of trouble, wrong place, wrong time. Cause I know in my situation, every time I've been arrested, it's, it's a hundred percent my fault. Like, and I've heard stories from people where I'm like, dude, that sucks. Like you literally were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. But for me, it was always my fault. Like I, yeah, I, I was always the one. I hold myself completely accountable for everything I've done and everything I've been arrested for or convicted of because it just helped me like grow and let that part of my life go you know yeah. What I mean? but yeah i was young my mother used to work like two jobs and my father would work two jobs you know just so they could put food on the table for my brother and i yeah so i would uh, uh get dropped off with my grandmother uh for the you know for the, the earlier part of my childhood very close with her she passed away oh, and i just wasn't i guess i just wasn't born with the ability to process my feelings and say how I felt. And yep, that's something I'm very familiar with. So instead I would, uh, you know, act out yeah. in anger or, you know, uh, you know, just 
bad behavior. You know, I would just you know, not going to school, cursing out teachers, getting arrested, stealing, uh, then becoming physical with the police like an idiot, you know, and getting my ass kicked by the cops. Back in the day, I mean, I guess, I guess it still happens now. I probably should. The cops used to beat the shit out of me a lot, a lot, man. Um, and and then it just, you know, I, I went to juvie. I, I went to group homes. And uh, when I was 18, you know, we're going back to 1999. I was like, oh, I'll try and join the army and see what happens. And I got. OK, so, yeah. What happened with that? I got kicked out. I was asked to leave after 11 months. Oh, so tell us about that. So you think, all right, I'm 18. I want to. I'm going to turn everything around. I need discipline in my life. I need structure. I, you know what I'll do? I'll join the, cause I had that thought too. When I, when football was done and I, I was like drinking every day and I was out of shape and I was like, I need to do something to turn this around. And I was still in college, but I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll join something like whether it's the army or the Marines or something, I'll join something. My grandfather served like that'll give me structure. That's what I thought. Right. And I ended up not following through with it. But what, so what, what happened with that? So you're 18. Are you still in high school? Like what's going on? No, I got, I ended up getting my GT when I was 16. Cause, okay. I, Cause one of the detention centers I was in, like that was an option. So I was like, fuck it. Let me get my GD. So I don't have to go back to high school when I get it, get out of here. And then I was getting in trouble out here and I, I joined, I joined the army and I do very well in basic training and AIT, which is like your advanced individual training. I was, uh, a bridge crew member. We built bridges. It was like oh, a construction job almost. Yeah. Um, some of them permanent. Some of them could be, you know, taken down. A lot of the times it was like in wartime, you would build a bridge and then set it with explosives, hoping the enemy would cross, you know? Uh, and then uh, once I got to my regular, gotcha. yeah, once I got to my regular unit and I had a sense of freedom and it wasn't just training, 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 training. I completely fell apart. Like, uh, at that time, I, I just, I was a horrible, horrible alcoholic. I mean, I would drink, uh, as soon as I can. And I was not a good drunk. I got into a lot of fights. I was a violent drunk and yeah. I was an asshole when I was sober too. And then, um, they're like, yeah, you got, we're going to, we're going to chapter you out. We're going to chapter you out of the, the military. So, so do you, this, I didn't get a dishonorable. I was discharged under honorable conditions. Okay. And this is fascinating to me because this is something I've noticed in, in my life. And I, I, I know I, I I'll compare a lot just, you know, because we do have similar situations as far as being sober and things like that. And that's something I want to get into later, but that's something I, I, I can relate to because when I was, in college and playing football and it was you wake up you go to work out you go to class you go to practice you you go to dinner and you go home and you're so exhausted you pass out right and right. when i had that structure i was making a's and b's like i never had to go to study hall you're killing it just oh my god and like we would still go out like normally saturday nights after the game or maybe on like a wednesday during the week but it was like every once in a while like we'd go out and have a good time but there was that structure. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And then when I got my last concussion and they were like, listen, man, you can't play anymore. Like this is you, you're, you're just too injured. And as soon as, like you said, is getting to that unit and getting that freedom. As soon as they were just like, no, your time is your time. You just had to be at class two hours a day. But even that, fuck it. Mm -hmm. I fell off the rails. Yeah. Like wake yeah. up doing shots, like drinking and like in, in between classes, like going to bed, hand, like, and it was bad. So in my situation, it was exactly that. It was getting that freedom, that kind of 
unlocked what was already there. Yeah, I didn't know how to act when I was yep. left to my own devices. Plus, I was carrying around a lot of, uh, you know, uh, feelings and trauma I had from when I was younger. You know what I mean? That I'd yeah. never properly dealt with. And after I got out of the military, you know, eventually, like it wasn't too much longer before I was incarcerated. Um, and then I just spent a lot of years in and out of 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 every kind of facility you could think of. I, I and, and eventually my uh, addiction had uh, progressed into heroin use. Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, horrible. And I didn't end up getting my life straight until I was, you know, or make the decision to try to straighten my life out until I was 33. You know, I'm 40 now. Okay. And I still got a ton of work to do. But yeah, it, it, it spiraled out of control. Like, yeah, I was 30 when I mean, it was weird. I, I went to rehab when I was 24, 25. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking around and there's like 18 and 19 year olds in there. And I was like, damn, I should have done this sooner. And then, and I didn't even start drinking until I was 18 because I always thought like, oh, like I saw what it did to people around me. And I was like, I'll never touch this stuff. And then as soon as I started drinking and all my anxiety went away, I was like, this stuff is magic. And that's then, how when I first did heroin, I was like, where have you been my whole life? Yeah. And then it within a matter like I, I the first time I did it, I sniffed it. And then within a matter of a few weeks, I was mainlining it. But I, I remember sitting in the meetings and listening to the old timers and being like, I've never been that bad and I don't have a problem. And then yeah. it, it just, you, you know, you just trick yourself into like, you think you can outsmart it. Yeah. Yep. I like, mean, well, I heard what you said and I, I'm never going to let that happen to me. And then the next thing you know, you're like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, you're like, I'll never be homeless. I'll never do that. You know what I mean? And then it, it all happens. It all, it all happens. happens. It all happens. Yeah. So what, what, if you don't mind my asking, and if you don't want to talk about it, just let me know. But that transition from drinking and doing, you know, some softer drugs into getting into like heroin and things like that had, cause for me it was cocaine. And, and mm. that, that wasn't, that was a gradual thing. It was a like, lot of cocaine too, my friend. Yeah. But <laughs> in, in, and in my situation, it was one of those things where it was like, all right, like I'll, I'll try it at a party. And then I realized like, Oh, I can drink a lot more if I do this. And then next thing you know, like I, I have a story I tell on stage and I know I've told it on this podcast before, but I spent, I got a settlement for a car accident. And after all the dust settled, I got a check for like $26,000. And I spent that in 28 days in Daytona, God damn. in Daytona, like not even an expensive city because I was just buying, you know, the, the tag and the joke is even shitty coke costs a lot if you do enough of it. But it, it, it just went from like a bump here and there at a party to now all of a sudden I'm blowing thousands and thousands of dollars on it. Yeah. And so for you, was it a gradual thing or was it one of those as soon as you started, you were like, all right, here we go. Yeah. So I was like 30 years old when I started doing heroin. Right. OK. So. Yeah, within those three years, like I did, I did some time, I think I, I did about it for one of those years I was incarcerated. OK. But I had made a complete mess of my life. Like it was as worse, as bad as it had ever been. I was living in cars, sleeping in parks, fucking on the street. It was like getting locked up was actually a good thing. I get a few times, uh, 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 I get arrested, spend like a few days, you know, in in the joint, get out. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was it was bad. It was bad. And uh, you know, it's kind of started with pills, man. Yeah, like I started messing around with the Roxasets and the Oxycontins. And I remember one day, I, you know, I, I, I ran out of pills and my brother, my brother was also like, I used to use a lot with my brother. 
um, I was sick. I was, I was, you know, withdrawing from opiates. My brother was like, I hate to see you like this. You know, I, I don't have pills, but I could give you something to, you know, make you feel better. And I was like, well, you got fucking heroin. And he didn't say anything. I was like, Oh shit. I was like, fuck it, bring it up. You know? And yeah. And uh, I did it and I wasn't sick anymore. And I really liked the way it made me feel. It felt better than the pills. And uh, I was able to, I, I liked it so much better than cocaine, like cocaine. I couldn't operate on. I'd get very paranoid. I wouldn't want to yeah. move, you know, staring um, at your people for like six hours. Yeah. Well, yep, exactly. I'm on the I've fucking floor fucking, you know, crawling around. And then with the heroin, I felt like I could like operate and, you know, and it was for a few weeks, it was good. And then it became, it became everything. And I, my, you know, you get sick if you don't do it. Just the same thing as the pills. And but the, I just remember the first time I got dope sick, it was f- so much worse, man. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that Um, just between the situations I've put myself in and then detoxes and rehabs and stuff like like you don't want to be. Like everyone's always like, oh, just like stop. And it's like you don't understand like the the withdrawals are. In a lot of ways, that's the reason to keep going because you don't want to like I didn't want to face it. I remember when I one of the times I was like, all right, I need to get sober. My sponsor was like, you have to go to a detox. And I was like, no, like, I'll just stop. And he goes, no, 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 no. Like, oh, well, alcohol, bro, you could die. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what he said. He's like the way you you've been drinking the last while, like you have to go somewhere where they can monitor you because you could die. Right. And that was I was like 28 at the time. And that was the first time where I was like. Oh man, like I fucking I've crossed this line, this invisible line that we talk about where it's like I'm never getting that back. I'm never going to be able to go out with my friends and just have a couple. Like that's when I realized like I'm fucked. I mean, we just have that gene in us that just we can't, you know, one is too many, a thousand is never enough. Not to quote fucking literature, yeah, but right. You know, <laughs> but I mean, it's also one of those things where it is it is very much a superpower if we use it the right way. Absolutely. Having that drive and that that just like I I don't care what happens. I will not stop for people like us who are doing like comedy or if you're an actor and entertainment like you have to have that. I don't give a shit how many times I get rejected. Like I'm not stopping. Yeah, Yeah. because there's how many people have we seen do an open mic? They bomb and they're like, "Ah, this isn't for me. And they never go back. And there's something about and I was talking to uh, Hannah Burner about this. And she said a lot of comics are either. Um, addicts, recovering addicts or athletes mm. because they have that same mental drive where it's like, I'm not fucking like, I'm not stopping. Like you yeah. can do whatever you want, but it, this, we're going to keep going. Right. Right. Which is true because I mean, case in point, look at us. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I would, I, I would rob and steal whatever you could think of to, to, you know, I'd rob drug dealers. I'd rob people. I'd fucking drive to Jersey and strip copper off of people's roofs. I had a fucking ladder. It was it was bad. What? I hate to ask you this because this is like, I know. Nah, ask whatever you want. But just because this is like a lot of the, um, like one of my best friends is a recovering heroin addict. And, mm-hmm. and, and another one of my good friends was as well. But, and he's recently, you know, passed away. He just couldn't get it together and it took him. But they, they came from um, like well to do families. So they would, they, you know, they would steal, but it would be a lot of times like they take their, you know, their mom's jewelry or the, what is it like in your 
uh, experience to be like going to a drug deal, thinking in your head, like, well, I'm just going to take this guy's shit. That's got to be. Oh, yeah. Terrifying, because that's a real life. Like if your parents catch you taking the TV off the wall, like you're going to get in trouble. But yeah, so I couldn't steal from my parents because my mother was a tough broad from the Bronx and she didn't play that shit. Plus, my my father was has also been sober for a long time. Like he okay. he drank. So my mother, she was not an enabler whatsoever. Yeah. OK, so um, I come from a different yeah. different line where everyone's she always like, playing. we'll I help mean, him, we'll help him. We'll help I, him. She gave me five dollars one time, dude, and all yeah. the years I was using. And she was just like because I just annoyed her that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. She was like, whatever, you know, fucking have at it you know what i mean but five bucks like i i my yeah i just my mother never left herself open to like get robbed by, by her kids i think my brother like took her credit card one time and like went to the bar and i think she had him she was pressing charges oh shit yeah you know what i mean so um, she did not play around nah, she didn't fuck around one bit um yeah i mean it, there is so you you know you're gonna get sick right yeah or maybe you're even starting to get sick. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. I remember like, you know, going to like, you know, to pull a jukes, you know, to pull like a little heist, whether I'm, you know, robbing somebody, robbing a drug dealer, whatever it is. And you, I would throw, I would start to gag, you know? Yeah. From the excitement of it. You know, I would like throw up sometimes and be dry heaving and shit. Uh, yeah. It was quite the adrenaline rush, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little different than getting even if it's a sold out crowd at the stand. It's still a little different. Yeah, no, I've never felt like that through comedy. I hope I do one day. Yeah, <laughs> it's close. It's close. It's close. Yeah, but not quite the same. You know, <laughs> you, know you get addicted to the, the lifestyle, the lifestyle and the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The repetition of things. It's like a, you know, it becomes almost like a the ritual. Yeah. You know, that's the thing, too. It, for me, it was less about anything. The thing it was most about was one getting fucked up. But then, two, it was about, OK, I get off of work. I get my smokes. I get my bottle. I go home. I lay line up three or four shot glasses just for we're me. We're probably so and happy. Dude, you- the, the greatest. I tell people this all the time. The best feeling in the world was leaving work and knowing I had the next two days off. And having a little bit of money in my account. So I knew like if I wanted to order a pizza, I was good. And going home, that's the happiest I've ever been in my life with a handle and a pack of cigarettes. And people are like, that's sad. I go, you don't understand like that. I've got 48 hours. I can fucking watch Netflix and just get obliterated was that literally one of the happiest moments of my life. And I've like had some great things. Like I played college football. Like I've, I've had some awesome things happen, but that was. I remember being at peace in that moment of like, everything's going to be okay. And then of course, two days later, I I'm trying to sober up for work. I can't hardly move. I can't see. And it's a disaster, but that moment in time, right before any of that happens was the most at peace I've ever been. Right. You know, and it's like, I, I remember trying to be like, cause I was just such a bad addict where it's like, you got to save something for yourself. In the yeah. Derek, you have to, because you wake up, you wake up, you don't, you don't really sleep well when you use heroin. You know what I mean? Like you nod out, but you, you're in weird positions. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get up and then like, usually you wake up you start moving around that first yawn, that little tear starts to form in the eye. That's for me. That's when I was like, okay, I'm getting sick. Yeah. And then, you know, I look at what, what did I leave for myself? And I already knew, but there'd be like a little corner of a bag. Yeah. Bullshit. 
you know, can even leave a bag for myself because that that's going to buy you some time to maybe actually, you know, have a kind of productive day or whatever. But you got and you got to it's hard to do your dirt when you're when you're sick. Yeah. You know, because if if it gets deep enough, you're just going to crumple up and lay on the floor, you know. Yeah. And that's that was a that was always a, a thing was the. The planning for the future, like at night. All the liquor stores are closed. I see how much I have left in the bottle. And I go, this isn't going to last. Like you should go, you should get, find a way to get to the store now. Right. I'd be like, no, I'll make it last. Then you wake up the next day and I'm throwing up and I'm shaking and everything's gone. And I'm like, like, cause I never drank beer. I only drank liquor. So mm-hmm. I would either have to take from my roommates, like go in the fridge and get some of their stuff. Or if I was living alone, I would just be fucked. And you always do that thing, too, in my situation where I would wake up four hours before the nearest liquor store open. So it's yeah. like, why couldn't I just sleep for four more hours? Then I'd get up and be like, oh, God, and just stumble to the liquor store. Yeah. But it's like, nope, I woke up at seven. It doesn't open till 11. And now I'm fucked. Yeah, dude. I, and with such a horrible way to live your life, I, I got to be honest, I never thought. In like my wildest dreams that I would become clean. Like I, I was pretty sure that like, you know, I was either going to do something really, really bad or I'd be, you know, locked up forever or I would die with a needle in my arm. You know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah, I don't I'd overdosed a few times, you know. OK, well, then, let's because I've talked about it on the show, getting alcohol poisoning and getting rushed to the ER. And and I, I completely agree with you because I'll never forget the last time I my last drunk and I have a whole episode where I talk about it when my friend Tony died uh, from an overdose. I, I kind of brought it up and I did a whole episode about it. But I remember distinctly looking in the mirror thinking you're going to die here alone. And that's exactly that's the plan. That's exactly what you deserve. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Everyone else was right. Every, you were wrong. Everyone was right. This is what's going to happen. Right. And then through no fault of my own through a miracle. I had a friend who was in town. He found me, rushed me to the ER and I lived. And that was kind of this, the moment where I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta change this because you know, when you're young and you're reckless, you know, doomed youth is very romantic. That's cool. That's fun. You know, the 27 club, like fuck it, die young, leave a, leave a beautiful corpse. That's right. cool. But when you get into your thirties, you're like, this is sad. Like there's something very wrong with this. Absolutely. And now, now, now I was going to say, go ahead with how that happened for you, because I, I've told my story before and it's crazy to think now I'm, I'm coming up on four years. It's like, I never thought, I thought I was going to die that day in that bathroom alone. Right and now I've got four years. So in your case, how did that happen? So my, like I, I said, me and my brother, we used a lot and we did a lot of, uh, you know, whatever illegal activities we had to do to get money to, 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 you know, procure heroin. We were both, addicted to heroin. I, I, so we lived above a restaurant. I lived on the third floor. He lived on the second floor and I found him overdosed one day. Oh, sure. And, and uh, I remember I, I, I couldn't revive him. Like I, I got him to take one breath and uh, I ran down into the restaurant and I was like, my brother's dying. He's overdosing. Somebody help me call 911. And they're just so there was paramedics hat eating in the restaurant. Get the fuck out yeah. Yep. And they were able to, to get up there. They got him like stable. The, the uh, ambulance came and they, um, I remember when they completely revived him cause he was in the back of the ambulance and the ambulance, my brother was a big guy. The ambulance started to shake. It was like move side to side a little bit. And I was oh, like, oh, 
yeah, I was like, he's alive. You know, he's moving yeah. around. <laughs> that's my brother. Yeah, that's my brother. And um, so, so saying that, um, I found him overdosed. I, this is months later that happened in the summer. So this is right around Christmas when this happened. I, there was this uh, dope on the street uh, that was like making people overdose. And when you're using heroin, that's the shit you want. You want yeah. the stuff that's because it's strong and you're just like, oh, I'll just I'll do one bag and you know, see what happens. I'll do Give less. Yeah. yeah, I'll do less. So me and my, my brother and I, we get this this heroin. The certain came in a pink little pink envelopes. It was uh, it was not stamped to my knowledge. Um, some of them will have like a Superman stamp on them, whatever, you know, all, yeah, whatever trademark kind of thing. So. I'm trying to shoot up in this bathroom and uh, I miss my vein, right? Oh, shit. So I'm not sick anymore, but I'm not high. Yeah. Uh, we So we leave this place that we were at. We go to somebody else's uh, place uh, to, to also was uh, using heroin. And I, I put three bags in the spoon. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. And I had just missed with two. Jesus. So the last thing I remember is putting the needle in my arm and then, you know, being revived at the hospital. And I just, I hear my brother, you know, I don't see him. I hear him. He's going, save my brother, save my brother, please save my brother. You know, as soon as I came up to, I like, I, I took this huge breath <gasps> and they, uh, I started to throw up. They turned me to my side and I was like, I'm cold. And they, they put the, one of those warm blankets on me and they were rubbing my back. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, I'm alive, brother. I, it's so crazy. We would call each other brother like during tense moments. Like, yeah, not like brother, like, hey, like brother, like, you know, yeah, and uh, brother. Yeah. He was like, um, he was like, do you want me to call mom? And I was like, no. And he, and he was like, do you want no, me to call? No. You want me to my daughter's mother? He was like, you want me to call Adrian? And I was like, no, don't call anybody. Don't I don't want anybody to see me like this. And uh you know, once I started being able to kind of have like an idea of what was happening, my my toes were my toe knuckles were skinned to the bone. Ooh! so after they get me stable, you know, I'm I'm like my brother's there with me. I'm like, what happened? He's like, you know, you, you overdosed and and the people in the building wouldn't let me call 911. They because they thought the police were going to come and they didn't want to get arrested. My brother had to like drag me out of there. So he was dragging you and your feet were dragging on the floor. Exactly. Exactly. Shit. Yeah, he had to fight with them about taking me out of there. They're like, no, the cops are going to come. It was, uh, so yeah, he, and he, he also said like, he, he's like, I heard you take your last, your last gasp of breath in the car. And, uh, and then he said like, I also defecated myself too. So he's like, you were, when I, He's like, he, when he said, when he drove me up there, he was like, my brother, my brother, I think my brother's dead. I think my brother's dead. They came, got me. They had to give me two shots of Narcan. Holy shit. Yeah. And then, uh, the nurse came in and it was like, uh, I just want to let you know, you're the only person we were able to save revive this week. And, um, the doctor came in and he was like, cause I had overdosed before. It's a little different. This was a little different. You know what I mean? Yep. I know exactly what you mean because yeah. I had, I had gotten alcohol poisoning before and it was always like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I just overdid it. And then this one was like, 
the doctor comes in and he goes, Hey, I don't know what's going on. Um, every body is different, but you should have been dead like six hours ago. And I was like, what do you mean? And so goes, much shit can happen. Like you go brain dead. Fucking, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and not come back the same. It's one of those things where it's, and for those of you listening who don't know, Narcan is what, um, they give to revive people who are overdosing on downers heroin yep, on opiates, opiates. Yeah. So what yeah. it does is it rips the opiates off the opiate receptor, I believe. And it throws you right. You go right into withdrawal. Yeah. That pisses a lot of people off. <laughs> like, what did you do to me? Put me back. Put, Put it back. Me. Put it back right now. So when the doctor came, he was like, uh, you know, you seem like a pretty nice guy. Most people that we save are not as calm as you are. I just remember him being like, uh, you know, we're going to get you into a program tonight. And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm leaving. And uh, so is that what you did? You left? I left. I knew then that I was going to change my life. Either I was going to die quickly after that or like some was some was happening. I was either yeah. going to go this way or that way. There was going to be a shift. And I, I, I continued to use. But it was not with the same. uh ferociousness i would say okay it's something changed you know and uh i ended up i ended up getting clean so and, and you said earlier you have seven years now seven years yeah august Congrats, 20 man that's awesome yep i wanted to uh this is something i wanted to touch on i know we're coming up on the hour but i wanted to touch on this because this is something i i found interesting uh that you and i have talked about together at the stand and stuff but we so it, to me, it parallels a lot like with comedy. So there's people who get into comedy and they kind of dabble in it and they do like a mic here or bring her there, that kind of stuff. And then there's people who are super intense, who are very like I, I'm the first to admit I'm very um, pretentious when it comes to comedy, all that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing in circles when it comes to sobriety. And this is something that you had mentioned to me uh, where when you first got sober, you were very much like, oh, no, like you got to do it that way. Like you like there's people who are California sober who still smoke weed and stuff. And you're like, fuck that. That's not because that's exactly my because I'm very much that mentality when it comes to comedy and when it comes to sobriety, where I'm like, no, you either fucking do it or you don't do it. Right. right. And you said because you have more obvious time than I do. You've kind of relaxed over the years as far as your standards and things like that. What what kind of shifted that in your life? What kind of made you? Not change your mind, but kind of open your mind with that. Kind well, of stuff. Once I started working in the recovery field, you know, I remember when I was like getting certified for like my uh, recovery coach and peer mentor, I was like, you know, they were, they were so focused on harm reduction. They're like, you know, get, if you could get this person, help this person get on methadone, that's great. And I was like, nah. Yeah. So boxing in Florida, nah, they used to fucking, boxing. You'd like, be nah. sick and you just fucking you deal with that pain. And yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because, like, dude, I did this oh, I exactly methadone game. I played the game. You know, I wouldn't take my Suboxone. I would take it the day before I was getting tested. So it was in my system. And I'd sell the rest. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And and um, it, it just, once you I saw people really out there struggling, it's like, you know, some some of us as addicts were just tortured souls and we're down. And it's, you got to start somewhere. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, like certain 12 step meetings, you know, I go to a different one than the one I used to. They were they would say things like if you're on something, we, you know, we don't want you to share because we want to talk to you. And I, I feel like that's a very dangerous thing. Yeah, it's a very I agree. Dangerous thing. You should let people talk. 
some even if they're not going to remember who knows but like I, there are cases where people have been able to live good lives on methadone and suboxone yeah is it ideal no absolutely not you think those people feel any better that they they're taking two four eight milligrams 16 milligrams of suboxone a day no you know you know what they use in london i mean uh, england to get people off of heroin heroin they use oh, heroin. Do they? yeah oh, you go get you go get your shot every day you know it's and those See, people man. yeah it's that that to me, it, well, to be honest with you, because I've seen the situations that, like I said, I, one of my closest friends I met through rehab and stuff kept saying, you know, I'm going to get sober, you know, for my family and then couldn't do it. Then I, he got a girlfriend. I'm going to get sober for my girl and then couldn't yeah. do it. Then she got pregnant. I'm going to get sober for my son. And now he's dead. And it's like one of those things where it's like almost to like what you're saying is I it's harm reduction. Like, I don't I would much rather you have a maintenance program and be alive. Then just say, well, what happens out of that maintenance program? Maybe you grow and get clean eventually because it, it, you might get to a point where you're like, yo, I don't want to fucking be on suboxone anymore, you know, or, you know, but, and you know, my, my brother, my brother passed away in, in July. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. You know, from he, from a fentanyl overdose and, uh, you know, him being the one that saved me, my brother got, got clean before I did. He had more time than me at, at one point. And, you know, and, you know, he was dealing with a ton, like he ended up getting shot a few years ago, 17 surgeries. He survived Holy that. Shit. Yeah. And uh, he had his last surgery in May and uh, ready to get his life back together. And, you know, he, he, he did fentanyl and he passed away. And uh, I'd much rather my brother had been on Suboxone or Methadone. Yeah, absolutely. And you know we, what I mean? You know, and it's, it's because it's, it's your brother. So he's obviously he's the one who saved you, like you said, and you're incredibly close with him. And, but even in other people's situations in the circles that we run in, especially now being sober, it happens all the time. Like we see it all every, every couple of days I get a text. So-and-so has gone, this person's yeah. gone suicide or overdose or it's, and it's, it's crazy. Cause I I've talked to regular people like normally functioning human beings and they'll be like, oh, my God, it's so sad. You know, somebody you almost died. become numb to it, right? Yeah. So they're like, somebody died. And I go, oh, what happened? They go, oh, well, she was, you know, 95. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Like people. And they're like, yeah, but I've never lost someone. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, where the fuck? You where have you out. been? You need a new circle of friends, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so like, living your life. When my brother passed. You know, it's like I I knew the neighborhood well, the neighborhood of people dying from from, you know, substance yeah. abuse and addiction. Uh, definitely the neighborhood was a little rougher because it was my own brother. But uh, everything I've done to better myself, like all the programming programming I did in, in early recovery, grouping four five, six times a day. I mean, it's, it, it helps you get through things like that. You know what I mean? And it, my brother definitely, you know, he saved my life at one point. So he wasn't here for no reason. Yeah. All kinds of thoughts always go through my head, you know, especially after he first passed away. Uh, why am I here? And, and he's not survivor's guilt, survivor's guilt, or, you know, if I could trade, I would, you know, these things are impossible, you know, yeah. and you'll eventually stop thinking about them on your own, but you know, it's, uh, I accept who I, what I did when I was using, I accept all the, th- the bad things I did. I hold myself accountable. I accept that my brother has 
unfortunately passed on from from this world but you know how he was a big part of my life and uh you know and i i i i love him you know i I, i'll always love him and uh it just and it becomes my brother becomes another lesson for me which hurts to a point but this is how we continue to do what we do you know yeah and that's that's definitely something that i've taken away from the lessons as you put it that i've learned where it's like did it have to be that bad and then i look in the mirror and you go yeah it did yeah Yeah, it it had it it had to be that bad because there's a dumb movie line i quote all the time but it's lessons not learned in blood are soon forgotten and that's Mm -hmm. i say that all the time when i'm talking about getting sober because i my hats are off to the people who are like yeah i got drunk and texted my ex and now i realized i had a problem i'm always like good for you man like i was i was literally dying like i was in a hospital room dying so yay tomato tomato right yeah (laughs) <laughs> whatever it takes is different for everybody you know what I mean? everybody yeah the hard alcohol use though and, and opiate use uh, uh is very super super similar like you can't die from a heroin overdose i mean uh from a her- from like withdrawing from heroin you feel you might feel like you want to but the that's alcohol- an argument i used to get in at the halfway house all the time when uh opiate addicts would come in i'm like you're not gonna fucking die like, yeah i am i go no i'm the one who would die you're fine <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I uh, and even like having conversations like this, like I don't get to have them as much as I did any anymore. I don't, I don't go to five meetings a week anymore. You know, no, I understand. Yeah, you know, but it's um, it's good. You know, just uh, being real about what it was and what it is and and all that stuff. So it's like you know, but. A DMX said it best. If it, it was like, uh, if it takes for, for me to suffer, for my brother to see the light, give me my pain. And I was just like, damn, you know, like my brother passed away and it, it's almost fortified my recovery. Yeah, even, absolutely. Even more now. Well, it's, it's one of those things where you, again, can go one of two ways. You can, you know, like you said, fortify your recovery, be like, okay, that obviously happened. And now it's my responsibility to stay sober and to relay, you know, make people laugh through some of my pain and trauma like you do with your stand up. And it's like, and my brother gave me that opportunity or, you know, there's another way you could go and there's always that other way. And it's just, it comes down to a choice. And like you said, you've made the decision to, to kind of lean into it and keep, keep pushing. Yeah. I don't, so I don't gamble anymore, but like, I always like to tell myself, like if I had to bet on myself to stay clean today, I would, I would take the bet. Yeah. Yeah. And, That's, maybe, and maybe tomorrow. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes I hate some of the corny, like one liners, but I mean, they're corny one liners because they're true. They're cliches because they're true. Absolutely. Absolutely. But like, how, well, sometimes I catch myself on the phone talking to a sponsor and I'm like, man, you just got to take it a day at a time. You know? Yeah. You got to live and let live. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you hack. Yeah, you sound like the rest of these corny motherfuckers, but that shit, that shit works, man. No, it does for sure. It's the simplicity if you let it in. We're the ones that always overcomplicate everything. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So much. Well, I do. I really appreciate you coming on. We got to get you back on. There's some jail stories I want to talk about and stuff too, but we're coming up on the hour. Plug everything one more time. Let everybody know where they can find you. You can follow me at Derek Dresher on Instagram and then come check out my monthly at the stand, man. 23 or it's one. Sold out this month. So you're not getting tickets this month. Sold out this month. We're next one is January 18th. Thank you, brother. January 18th. We always have uh, 
good group of comedians on and we're just two two jailbirds that are reformed and we just curate a show and it's it's a lot of fun so yeah check the show out follow me on instagram if you want to come take com body class i teach tuesdays fridays and saturdays you could reach out to me through instagram maybe i'll give you a free class and uh, oh yeah Brennan, I appreciate you having me on. This was great, brother. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. BrennanTComedy.com. Brennan T. Comedy on all social media. Got a show in Chelsea January 6th with the Hell Yeah Comedy Boys. Check that out. And then uh, check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Brennan Tassif. We'll talk to you all next week. Take care, brother. You too, man. Thanks again. Thank you.